Mansplanation is a show about two men trying to break free from the prison of toxic masculinity. They offer no professional advice or suggestion. They will occasionally use adult language and will often discuss examples of violence and malicious behavior, so parental guidance is recommended. Hold on one second. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear me? What if I whisper? Better, better. What if I whisper into your ears like it's a secret? The Secret Podcast. Are, are you listening? Is this that ASM stuff? This is going to tickle your soul. This is the ASMR that all the kids are in. Hi, Todd. How are you? That's been building up. Inside, in your heart. Kids wouldn't go to bed. Oh, yeah. 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 The struggle is real. Wishing you can eat your young yet? No. 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 Why would you say that? That's What's wrong with you? Are you a monster? Yes. Welcome to Mansplanation, a discussion between two friends about our failures in masculinity and what we're trying to do to be better people. I'm Tim. Nailed it. I'm Todd. Nailed it. We can go home now. Okay. Thank you for listening. Good night. Got fits on your bed, I see. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they, the, the cat, uh, we have two cats. Uh, one lives in fear of us, and we rarely see her. And then the other one just loves and adores us. And if we change rooms, he follows us and takes naps around us. He's a good guy. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we're going to teach you how to do things today. Okay. <laughs> Listen, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. But we have to try. Todd, because what do we like? Pain. Yeah, we like pain. <laughs> Why are you looking at me like you're about to die? Because I feel like I'm about to die. Oh, are you sick? No, no. Oh, okay. Go on. Why do you, what, what are you teaching why me? Do you feel, why do you feel like you're about to die? Uh, no reason. What are you teaching me, Tim? Come on. Okay. Let's get the learn I on. Want you, I want you to go. You have a Mac, right? You have a computer, I believe. You are you have an you have an Apple yes. computer. Yes. Yes. The same one that you've had for a while. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Same one. Um, so there is a reason I'm doing this. That we're doing this. Okay. <laughs> are you, this is like the Matrix. Yeah. Yeah. It feels like I'm the slowest guy in the Matrix. Why? Yeah, I'm not real good with computers, Tim. You're, you were able to, to call me on it. Yeah, yeah, after you walked me through that. No, you, I mean, you did. What do you mean if I walk you through it? Quick timer. I can't find quick time. Okay. That's no worries. But can you change a tire on yeah, a car? Yeah, that I can do. Oh, see, I've never done that. Oh, you I tried once, and I I'll failed. I'll teach you how to do that next time you're in town. That's, that's easy. <laughs> no, thanks. No, why not? Will it make the show better? Sure, sure. We could we could do that. Todd and Tim teach stuff that uh, the other does not know how to do. Well, I mean that kind of fits in with you know manly lessons in manliness. I used to be able to change brakes, everything. I haven't done that. In, you really? Yeah, yeah. I haven't done that in about twenty years. I could still change could you, oil. Could you could you strip a car? What do you mean, like for parts? No, no, I couldn't do that. Like like Jason Todd, your namesake. 
No, I couldn't do that. No, no, you're not. You're not the. I, I'm not. I'm not Robin. No, <laughs> you're not the second Robin. Mm-hmm. Or was he third? No, he's number two. He wasn't a break kid. If he's trying to steal shit off the Batmobile, that's all I know. <laughs> but Batman took a shine to him. Yeah, kid, I like your moxie. <laughs> you see, David Cronenberg has a new movie coming out. Really. He made with the the Soska sisters. Who? Soska, is that? Oh the name? yeah, um, American uh, Mary. Jen right? and yeah, cool. Yeah, uh, at least that was my understanding. I just yeah, I just listened to an interview with them. That would be something. American Mary, a lot of good stuff there. It wasn't all to me. It wasn't a great movie, but man, it had some potential. That it, it was a very yeah. good first movie. Maybe he's producing it. Hey, uh, that's that's a win. Or, or writing it. Or no, acting I made in that it. up. Did you ever see Nightbreed? No. He's in that. He stars in it. Isn't that? Didn't he direct it? No, no. That I don't think so. It's a Clive Barker movie. Oh, right. The Vampires, right? No, no. It's about these weird no? animals that live under <laughs> humanoid things that live underground. And Chud. Chud's cannibalistic humanoid underground dwellers. There's a little... Uh, have you seen Us yet? No. Holy shit. How did you see this already? Uh, Becca was tired on Friday night, so I walked up to the Hollywood Theater and saw a 9.30 showing and got my mind blown. <sighs> you can't see movies before me. You're a dad. Not often, man. Clive Barker directed Nightbreed, which really explains why okay. it was not a good movie. No. It was not. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll look into it. We'll try something else next time. Okay. But uh, hi, welcome to Mansplanation, a tech support show where we don't really solve problems. No, no, but we might change your tire. Uh, this is Click and Clack, the Tapper Brothers. This is we're we're on Car Talk. Hi, mm-hmm. I'm I'm Click, and he's Clack. <laughs> so, what have you been? What's the manliest thing you did this week? Oh man, I, I'm I'm ready for this. Okay, you ready? So, Tim, you take a can of condensed milk, a teaspoon of vanilla. You whisk that together. Then you get two cups of heavy whipping cream. Whip it until it forms peaks. Basically, you're making whipped cream. Okay. Then you fold the condensed milk mixture into the whipped cream until it's one. Then you divide that between four bowls. Okay. In one bowl, you get your yellow food coloring. Mix that real good in there. Other bowl is green. Other bowl is red. Other bowl is blue. Then you put that together, kind of like gently, you know, one color in each corner and a square container that can go in the freezer. And then you take a butter knife and you draw lines basically throughout, mixing it up slightly. And then you have rainbow vanilla ice cream. Ooh. And so you taught your children how to make rainbow vanilla ice cream? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what we did with them last night. We made rainbow vanilla ice cream and they had, it blew their little minds and they were happy. I tried getting um, unicorn sprinkles from Walmart, but they were out. But yeah, it was a it was a fun evening with them. What was the special occasion? No real special occasion. My wife is in a book club, so uh, she went okay. out to uh, do that, and uh, I stayed home with the girls, and uh, we made ice cream, hung out. It was kind of it was really nice actually. Watched cartoons, read some comic books. We didn't read any comic books. They recently discovered my stash of comics in a filing cabinet in my youngest daughter's room. My oldest, okay. my oldest found was like, "Dad, look at these!" And he's like, "Yeah, yeah, that, those are mine. D- don't, don't mess with them." Why? Why are they in Emma's room? Why are they in your youngest? Because room? we Emma's room was the um, was the office before she was born. Oh right. 
and we just haven't moved them. I could put them back in their boxes, like their, you know, the cardboard storage boxes. Right. But I, I kind of like having access to them. If they go in there, there, they're going up in the attic and I'm not going to read them ever. Not that I read them much right now, but you know, the op- I like the fact that the option for me to read them exists. You have you have them. Mm-hmm. I have them, and they're they're, they're not far. They're there. Yeah. In, in case you need to remember what happened to why the last oh, man. That's such a good one. In issue thirty-one. Oh, that's such a good comic. When he when when they go to the Shakespeare Theater thing, the ampersand in the Midwest. Yeah. Ampersand the fish, right? The, mon- no. the monkey. For for the reader that's uninformed, uh, this is a comic about, <laughs> or the listener that may not have read this, rather. Uh, this is about a uh, young man named Uric. And in a nutshell, uh, there's a disease that kills every human male. Might even kill every mammal. Male mammal. I'm not certain. And it happens happens basically over the course of like, oh, almost instantly, right? Like planes go down because the pilots are male. And it's some interesting things happen, like uh, basically every church just kind of falls apart because it's a patriarchal right. um, run organization. A lot of governments right. really struggle because a lot of the people that are in power are men. And in fact, it, right. there's a big shootout at one point between the three Republican women and the 25 Democratic yeah. women or yeah, that are in power in the government. Walking around is uh, the one man, uh, the the uh, Yorick, who has, goes by Y, and he is discovered by the government, and he is to be taken to a geneticist to find out what the issue is, why did he survive, and every other male die, and see if there's any way they can bring back uh, mankind. Yeah, the, the handful of things I remember about that book, his mom becomes president, I think so, because his mom was like Secretary of the Interior or Secretary yeah. of Agriculture. I remember like right, the the essentially conservative Republican surviving politician women, women are demanding that the seats be given to the wives, mm-hmm. right? Like instead of it, you know, there being some special reelection or the Democrats controlling power, they're demanding that well all the all the men who died had wives yeah. who should take their seat. And that's one of the big struggles. And yeah, for some reason, the, the only other thing, the only other thing I really remember is there are men in space on the space station, right? And they're still alive, right? But when they come to Earth, they die, right? Like when they come back to Earth, they die. I think so. The or they don't, right? Like that's the it, it, it. Essentially, like they discover that there are other men, two or three others. I forget what happens because it it has a happy ish ending, right? Yeah, like it's an ending. It's a, it's an interesting. And the, the, the interesting thing about why is he's kind of an immature man. Oh, yeah. He's yeah. a street musician, an escape artist, and he's fallen in love with his girlfriend who has her shit together. She's studying to be an archaeologist. She's in uh, Australia, in the outback, on an archaeological dig when everything happens. And the moment the disease hits, he's on the phone with her proposing. And so a good chunk of the comic he is spending, A, trying to get to the geneticist to figure out what happened here and can mankind be brought back and also trying to get back to his girlfriend and throughout the time trying to figure out am i even worthy of this person do i deserve this and it deals with some really interesting stuff Uh, there's a pretty big portion of the book where he's walking around in drag because that's the only way for him to safely move around and as a character he has zero problem with this and somebody this comes to light at one point in the comic and they say, well, you know, of course you have to do this. This is camouflage for you. He's like, no, to be honest, I don't think I would have a problem with this, even if there were men around. This is 
something I like doing. I, I, I feel comfortable doing this. I don't consider myself to be a cross dresser or anything, but I, I, I like the I like the fact that I can wear patterns. I like the fact that I can wear different fabrics. I, I like the fact that I can wear different cuts. And as a man, he just couldn't do that. Um, there's a lot that they kind of go into with what happens when men just disappear and the structure that men have built around ourselves to keep everything running disappear. Like I said, governments fall, uh, religion falls. Uh, There's a big scene when they go to Australia and they go to the Sydney Opera House and as they're going in, somebody warns them at the last second, you don't want to be in there because it's turned into a giant shooting gallery. It's nothing but women shooting heroin. And it's just, yeah, on one hand, you know, like, okay, yeah, the patriarchy crumbles, but then you have a lot of women who are just like, I've lost my friends, I've lost my husbands, I've lost my sons, and have no good way to deal with it. Right. Like, and, and that's the part I remember about, you know, when it's looking at U.S., how it talks about U.S. politics um, and the U.S. government. Um, it very much leans into, yeah, it's not, it's not only men who support the patriarchy. There are, there are women, because for some reason I, I have this, I, I could be combining it with something else. I thought no, I think like you're right. a form of, no, no, I thought like a form of the Catholic church or a church springs back up with women, like all the nuns or something form. The Amazons. There's a tribe called the Amazons, and what they do is they slice off one of their breasts because that's what the Amazons would do so they can become better archers. And they kind of put themselves as kind of like, we're now going to be in charge. Now that men aren't around to take care of us, we're going to take care of you, whether you like it or not. Right. It does definitely play with that notion that the, the that patriarchy isn't isn't just a system that was designed by men. Mm-hmm. That it was sort of like this is a hierarchy, mm-hmm. and even in the absence of the Y chromosome, mm-hmm. all all current human societies are hi- are hierarchical, class based, value based, whatever you know. Um, that that's all the women who are left know, and so yeah. they still lean into that power structure rather than leaning away from it. Uh, and I did not- new, you, Creating something that's going to be helpful to them. But they do, right? Like there are there are parts of, you know, since it's a journey across this, you know, uh, new world, you know, they, they, co- they come across different communities and different places. And it's not, you know, it's the standard post-apocalypse. There are some communities who did reorganize around more democratic principles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I think that's- you know, not my favorite part about why and the the genre of post-apocalyptic fiction, um, a post-apocalyptic fiction is um, essentially it seems like an excuse to play with totalitarian societies versus more democratic, egalitarian, anarchistic, free forms of government. Uh, I th- for some reason. Um, uh, the movie The Postman pops into my head in The Clan of Eight. I've never seen that. Uh, I've seen it several times. Really? Which it's, one? The Postman or The Clan of Eight? The Postman. No, Clan of Eight is from The Postman. The okay. Clan of Eight is essentially the like, right, totalitarian strongman. Um, what's what's the Mad Max Fury Road name? The, the War Boys and yeah. Papa Odin. That's not, he's not Papa Odin. I can't he's, um, think of, I can't think uh, of that. Not Toe Cutter. Um, Whatever. Um, uh, Im- Im- Imogen Poots. Um, immortal. Imogen Poots. Im- Im- yeah. Immortal. 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 Joe. Joe. Yeah. 
Immortan Joe. Um, I would love it if she right. was the leader of the War Boys. <laughs> Imogen Poots. I mean, you know. Which, ironically enough, she has a. She's going to be in the TV ad- adaption of Why the Last Man. Oh, really? Yeah. That's funny. Uh, no, I was going to say, you know, Thunderdome. It was, uh, it was Di- I, not Diana Ross. Tina Turner. But, um, Tina Auntie Turner. Annie. Yeah, Auntie Anne. Yeah, Barter Town. One man enter, no man. That's that was the actual Thunderdome. But right, like, and then you have, you know, in in the Postman, there's the Clan of Eight. That's you know very military, very uh, dictator oriented society against the you know very commune run by tom petty um people who live in hiding up in the mountains of the pacific northwest and that's the real tom petty like not like he plays himself yeah it's kind of it's canonical that tom petty becomes well he's you know yeah in some in some fictional universe tom petty is uh mayor of post-apocalypse I'll be very interested to see how this uh, comes out. They, uh, the, the comic is dense. The comic is wonderful. The comic attacks and approaches so many ideas. Uh, one other thing that's kind of jumping out to me is uh, Yorick comes across a woman and she says something to the effect of like, you've never known what it's like to be sexually assaulted. You don't understand what that is like. At which he replies with, I have been sexually assaulted. And it goes into his past where... He was playing with the boy. The boy tied him to a tree. And when uh, the offender was uh, positive that York couldn't escape, he performed oral sex on him against his will. And for an immature character, I mean, he was able to say, I, I can see how this has had a lot of impact on my life, but I also know that my assault is not the same as your or anyone else's assault. It's not better. It's not worse. But they are different. And like I said, this is an incredibly immature character in a lot of ways who grows but this is like something that happens very honorable in the comic where he, he even talks about it it's like i've done a lot of therapy on this and it shows that he's processed it has been guided through this and this is one thing that allows him to kind of stand up and uh and i almost said be a man be a, be a mature adult be, a, be mature be mature about it be an adult about it. i think that's a that's a good distinction um is that immature people can still have, I think that's, to me, that's, you know, we talk about what it means instead of what it means to be a man, what it means to be an adult, what it means to, what it means to be mature, right? Like when I hear, you know, what is manliness? What is masculinity? It's, to me, it's just another version of what does, what does it mean to be a mature, responsible adult? Okay. Um, it's just right. Like to me, masculinity is just one, one way to handle that kind of, problem you know that problem of okay some somebody needs to be responsible right. somebody needs to make hard decision decisions and unpleasant decisions um oh i just oh no i've distracted clementine is behind you hey fits oh no and they're both bathing yeah i'll sit over here to so see you can uh so you can check it out that, that, that's not good for the radio that's not no, good radio no. that's not good no. audio but i think the way that it illustrates, I think, in toxic masculinity in the way that toxic masculinity is essentially handling emotional damage, sexual damage, sexual abuse in a very immature way, right? It, it's the traditional the traditional approach for yeah, yeah. I mean, to me, how we handle sexual sexual abuse in men, and also you know, men against women is very. It's a you know, boys being boys. Right, it's like, oh, that's just something an immature boy does, and so it's a jo- you know, it's a joke or 
it's something you don't need to worry about. My take on toxic masculinity is that it's kind of using one tool for every job. You can use a hammer to open a mm-hmm. jar, mm-hmm. but it's not the best way to do it. I think that as a man, you're expected to be able to defend yourself, to use violence, things like that. And the toxic masculinity version, I mean, it's good to be able to defend yourself. It's good to be able to defend your loved ones. It's bad if you use those skills to resolve every problem in your life. Oh, wait, you cut me off in traffic? It's go time. Oh, you disagree with what I said, honey? Well, then it's go time. Um, whatever it, it, that to me, that's toxic masculinity using one tool yeah. for every conceivable job. It's, it's the Wolf of Wall Street versus John Wayne. Okay. Both terrible. <laughs> well, the, the Hollywood version of John Wayne, you know, that you're going to have to tell me which John Wayne. Maybe. Okay. Let's not, let's not do John Wayne. Let's do Gregory Peck. Gregory Peck. How about Gregory Peck? Okay. Yeah. Gregory Peck. Yeah. Yeah. The yearling yeah. or was it old? Yell- no, it's a yearling. I thought you were going to go with... Um, oh, yeah. Sorry. Uh, to Kill a Mockingbird. Yeah. yeah, I was also thinking that. But right, like that very stoic, self-possessed mm-hmm. man who does the right thing, mm-hmm. right? And that's what I mean. But like that to me is what John Wayne represented. Even you know, Man, I'm going to make a face over that. But go on. <laughs> Clint Eastwood. Do you want me to do Clint Eastwood instead? Even yeah, though no, his, Clint Eastwood's not better. Have you seen The Mule? His star, is, his star has fallen. Oh, man. Clint Eastwood's, uh, in my opinion, a weak man that uh, gets to play tough. What did I just watch? And I was like, oh, he directed that. It was something new. Um, But okay, pick whatever example you want. I I really like Gregory Peck as an example. Gregory Peck. Or Jimmy Stewart, if you want to go that route. Jimmy Stewart was in Germany in World War II. He had a nickname from the Nazis, which I'm drawing a blank for. But basically, he was feared because he was a skillful combatant in the Air Force. And he was known for... If you had a fly against Jimmy Smith, or I'm sorry, Jimmy Smith, Jimmy Stewart, you might not make it home. In fact, you probably wasn't. But at the same time, he was a charity man. He was um, well known in Hollywood for being good to the actresses that he worked with. Many people said he was very pleasant to work with, calm man, didn't have much of a temper. But yeah, it's it's presented as a, a sign of strength. Yes, right. And on the other hand, you know, on on the other flip side of that coin is, and it's essentially pick your Scorsese movie, right? Mm-hmm. Pick pick, you know, Wolf of Wall Street. I think is the best example of bro culture, toxic masculinity, whatever name you want to attribute. It's essentially right. It's like I'm I'm in control and I'm going to do what I want. If you have a better argument than me, then I'm just going to yell until you shut up and succumb to my argument. Or not even yet, right? Like I'm just going to strong arm you, right? I'm gonna I'm gonna remain unbendable unbending i can't find and see now now i'm gonna have to look this up i it, google has brought up nothing about jimmy stewart's nickname i'll look later but oh, oh todd says hi jen laughed she doesn't want to be recorded on air live in person from the apollo one of those is immature masculinity and one of those is mature masculinity okay what's the difference to you the the difference is that mature that that version of the stoic man is an ideal that is never really attainable. It, it, it to me, it's you know, I I look at Paul Thomas Anderson movies as all being about that, where it's like, yeah, the stoic, self possessed man. Just because you're presenting that face to the world doesn't mean you're not emotional, right? Like, doesn't mean that you're sacrificing something and killing a part of yourself. Definitely, yeah. If anything, it kind of enhances you that you're willing to bend, you're willing to listen, you're willing to learn, you're willing to adapt. 
Yeah. And by doing that, you become a better person. Going back to York, I mean, it's interesting that this is something that's presented very early on in the comic when he's doing magic tricks and being immature and not dealing with situations. And then when the sexual assault thing comes up, all of a sudden he's a very wise voice. And it lets you, in the, there, in the comic, there's a person that's tasked with um, being kind of like his caregiver, his she's her job is to get him to the scientist and even at that point she's taken aback. It's like is this the kid that i've been guarding for the past couple months and throughout the comic he does grow throughout the comic he does learn he he he's allowed to become a man because he listens because he admits when he is wrong because he makes mistakes apologizes and learns from them he is the last man yeah he has no it's either make those choices and change and grow or break Right. Here, here's a real quick aside, Tim. Have you ever watched the show Naked and Afraid? Uh, yes, I have. So I was talking about it at work with some friends, and one of them made the joke. It's like, is that the show where they pair up a fit, like a fitness model or a female athlete with uh, special forces, and then the special forces looks like an asshole? It's like, yes, that is the show. <laughs> okay. One of the tropes that they would frequently do on that show is, obviously, you're um, they pair up a man and a woman. They're put in a hostile environment. They're given one thing to use, whether it's a fire starter, a bladed instrument, something they can use to survive, but they must be naked. And the one episode that was kind of famous was uh, Special Forces uh, Recon Army Sniper and a fitness model who was very capable in her own right. And okay. immediately the man fell apart. And immediately the woman was like, Okay, you take a couple days off, and I'm going to get us food, get us water, build a shelter, and I'll probably find us clothes along the way. Cool? Cool. And she did that. And the man ended up quitting very early on after a couple pretty embarrassing mistakes, and she lasted the entire show very easily. And honestly, after she fashioned clothes with style, too. <laughs> it's, uh, uh, it, you know, we're leaning into the pop culture guide why I loved 10 Cloverfield Lane so much and why I think it was so surprising because it very much is a young woman realizing her potential to save herself mm-hmm. and take care of herself and use those skills to help other people. Okay. Like that's sort of the, you've, have you not seen 10 Cloverfield I have not, Lane? not yet. Oh, I just ruined it for you. No, no, it's kind of what I hoped it would be. The movie's hard to ruin. Um it's a really good. It's I, I highly recommend it whenever you get a chance to sit down and rent or watch a movie. It's it's so good in so many different ways. But yeah, but leaning leaning back to that, this idea that women are fragile and weak under toxic masculinity, that they're prizes or something to be earned and won. Because if there's nothing to be earned and won and set you apart from other men, then what's the point, what's the point of it being strong and masculine, right? Right. And so thus, women can't also be strong and because then they would be part of the competition. And yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then they can say no um, and they can reject you. And then what does that right. mean? What does that mean of you? I, yeah, I go back to this idea of, you know, this has come up a couple of times, men being afraid of being perceived as women, mm-hmm. um, being perceived as essentially a sex object. Mm-hmm. Because that, that there's some there's some form of abuse in that. Like, oh, if you're if you are not the abuser, then you are going to be abused. Like that mm-hmm. that, that there's something in there, um, and very much comes up in political rhetoric in the past three years. Yeah, it that um, that there are somehow a winner and a loser, mm-hmm. and you don't want to be a loser, right? 
and to be a loser is weak. And it was so surreal to me that it was like, oh, okay, they've just, you know, we're really just stripping, or we, the patriarchy, toxic masculinity, that version of reality is really just stripping away all pretense and just saying right out, no, we are sexist. Mm hmm. We are racist. We are classist. You need to be a white, straight man. And if you're not a white, straight man, you can't be strong. I'm going to make one minor alteration to that. And I would say that they'll do everything that is racist, do everything that is homophobic, do everything that is sexist, but they won't admit to those words. Right now, I'm talking to you from Pittsburgh and probably about a half hour north of here there is a digital billboard that puts out incredibly racist stuff on a regular oh. basis. Um, there was a, uh, a police shooting. A police officer shot an unarmed mm. uh, black teenager, honor student by all accounts, gifted, wonderful young boy, uh, years old, in the back. And uh, when the officer was acquitted of homicide, uh, pictures of both of them were flashed on this billboard. One is a cop, one is a thug. Justice has been served. Local newspaper went to that person and they, who has been running that, and said, uh, Well, I'm not a racist, but this is what I feel. These are the things that are inside of me. These are the things that I want to open up a discussion. It's like, Well, that's not really opening up a discussion. You're, you're hurting people. You're saying very racist things. And the fact that you're just starting that with, I am not a racist doesn't absolve you from that. It's a it's a form of ignor it's a form of willful ignorance mm-hmm. at some level because it's it's essentially saying I'm not a racist. It just so happens that black people are thugs. Mm-hmm. They could be it could be a white person who's a thug. Right. If they were white, I would call them a thug. Words have power. If they were to succumb to that tag, then I think they would have to all of a sudden admit like, yeah, there's a lot of terrible things that I have going on here. I have a lot of very not well thought out opinions. Not just not, admit that the system is right. Admit the reason that, so the disproportional number of, you know, gun violence, um, homicides is against young black men incarcerated, you know, incarcerations. For non-violent offenses. All, yeah. All the way up to um, capital punishment. To that sentence, you see race there is because the system is racist, right? Mm-hmm. It is because they are disproportionately pushed into th- those places. Um, I just saw I just saw if Beale Street could talk. Okay. Um, new favorite movie. Very complex movie. Very complex movie. I'm looking forward to it. Very the it, it, yeah, it, uh, it's a masterclass in I mean, it's based on a James Baldwin novel, so I think I think it get, I think that's you know a lot of credit goes there to the source material, but the movie does I, I, I've not, I have not read the novel, but the movie does the source material justice because it does hit like issues of race, issues of class, religion, family, sexism. It it covers everything in a very and and still also manages to be a very sweet love story okay romance it's a very powerful movie it's interesting because the toxic masculinity scene in it is countered by men being men and men being responsible okay and and really you know the only way we can be responsible is to take care of our family uh like there's one there's one line and i'm gonna bo- you know, mess it up, but the, the line goes something like, you know, white white men 
the white man lies, cheats, and steals, and you know, lied and cheated us out of our you know homes, money, land. So why can't we do it too? You know, why can't we hustle? They're hustling us. Why can't we hustle them? Not even hustle them. Why can't we just run a hustle? Um, because they're trying to raise money for, for very noble reasons. And it's like, where are we going to find this money? It's like, I know how to hustle. You know, the white man hustles all the time. If, if we can be sent to jail for no reason, a character gets out of jail and says, I wish I'd actually been caught for doing something. Mm-hmm. At least that prison time was worth it. Like I think about all the young black men and now older black men in prison now who are in jail for marijuana possession. Yeah. And again, how unfair that, like how, like actually unfair that is because it's right. It, it, they, if they, if they were in prison for something that mattered, something that was actually a crime or something that was actually a hustle that they, that they earned or right. Like that they, they earned something off of Mm. or hurt some, right? Like, Like, what do you mean? Can you give me an example? Hmm. Can I give you an example? For me. I think you should only be incarcerated, and I feel that it should be a restorative process, a rehabilitative process, but I think you should only be incarcerated if you hurt someone. So if you're dealing with, okay, yeah, maybe there's some damage to society, I want to know exactly the name of the person who was hurt by that, not society. And at the same time, you know, if you're a white-collar criminal and you work for Enron and you cause roving brownouts throughout uh Los Angeles and a family is hurt because of that. You deserve prison time because then at that point we can find the names of the people that were hurt by your actions. You know, the the bank collapse in 2008, 2009. No prison time. No for million yeah, billions of dollars, thousands, hundreds of thousands of lives ruined. I, I have a good friend whose father was set to retire around there and he lost his entire retirement fund. Had to go back to work in the mills at the age of 60. Actually got pretty severely injured. He lost a good chunk of his foot in an accident at the mill. And if that money had never been stolen, he wouldn't have been at work. He would have been enjoying his life. He would have been spending time with his grandkid instead of getting fitted for crutches, instead of trying to figure out how to pay for these terrible injuries to him. There is a person there. There is a person who is hurt by the financial decisions of a group of people and they need to be and they should be held accountable. And right, going back to that idea of maturity, um, immaturity and maturity and being able to you said empathy. Mm-hmm. Having that empathy, you know, recognizing that you're hurting a person, uh, you're hurting people by your actions isn't valued in this like hyper masculine culture, in this strong culture, right? Mm-hmm. Of I'm going to win. I'm going to take from you. Like I, I only know that I've done well because I have more than you and you have, yeah, I have more than you and I took it. You have less, right? Right. So what's getting you through this week? Unless you, oh, wait, you're going to say something else? No, no, that's, that's, I think that's a great place to kind of put a pin in it. Um, so we are, as Tim and I are recording this, we're recording this post uh, Mueller report or maybe a better way of saying is post bar four page breakdown. Give us the conspiracy theory. Yeah, oh, no, no, it's not that. I'm just saying it was like- What's Alex Jones thing? There, there was a lot of, I, I think some air kind of went out of the room when that came out. I feel like there was a lot of people that were saying there has to be a crime because there's so much here that leads to that. 
And I think we are all kind of, I think the left and the progressives were let down and are wondering where is a path forward. And going back to my youth, whenever I had a question of like, where is the path to justice? There are two groups that I would always turn to because I felt like they possessed an answer. The public Enemy and The Clash. Okay. And right now on Spotify, there is a podcast that is hosted by Chuck D of Public Enemy. And it is about it is about the clash, and it is that's what's been getting me through. It is wonderful. I've often thought of the clash as an important rock band. I never understood at how much these guys meant what they said, and their how much their actions were a direct result of their politics, their beliefs. There's a brief account in there about um, the Clash going on their first tour in America, and they demanded mm-hmm. that they take a female punk band, a really good one, called the Slits, and they paid mm-hmm. for their hotel rooms because they would go to a hotel with, you know, all punked out and everything like that, and then the uh, the manager would say, uh, "No, you ladies can't stay here." So they would book all of their hotel rooms. They would make sure that they were well taken care of throughout the show. And on top of that, they had the belief that if you really want to see our music, you get to see our music. So they had the band's um, road manager. As soon as the show started, he would stand by the backstage door. And when there are enough kids there, he would kick the door open and say, get your asses inside and lead them to either the backstage where they could watch the show or lead them to the front so they could actually see what was going on. Because their Hmm. belief was, if you don't have enough money to see The Clash, then that's that's our problem and not yours. This music should be available to you. They they lost a lot of money when they released a double album for the price of a single album. Again, our music needs to get to the masses, to the people, the people that really love and deserve this. And we can't overcharge them for that. So get, getting an education in The Clash is helpful. Hearing it from Chuck D's mouth is also crucial because he tells a story about... Uh, the clash wrecking a hotel room and all of a sudden it feels like it feels like he just like went off his own tangent and the, and the sound engineer is like fuck it i gotta record this he's like yeah i remember my first tour it was a bunch of black kids we wanted to trash our hotel room we knew what would happen to us if we trashed our hotel room so you know what we did we left that hotel room cleaner than was when we got there that's what we did big bad public enemy that's what flavor Flav made his bed <laughs> no and left a tip probably yeah the, the podcast is called Stay Free, and I, it drops every Thursday. I cannot recommend it enough. Yeah. Why, why are you listening to this show? Go listen to one music lesson, talk about other music legends. Yeah, yeah. Chuck Chuck D has done everything in my life better than I have. He actually hosted a um, um, a job <laughs> fair in Pittsburgh recently. He's like, God damn it, I'm a pretty good social worker, and I haven't done this. And he's a therapist, is too. He? He's, he's a licensed marriage. I don't know. He probably is. He probably is. He's a licensed marriage counselor. That's what happened after uh, Flavor of Love. I actually just caught Chuck D tucking my children in bed, and he's the reason why they're asleep. It's amazing. That man is that man is a gift to humanity. He is just just for Son of a Bush. Oh, <laughs> so good. I listened to that song too much. Tim, what's getting you through? Russian Doll on Netflix, mm. starring Natasha Leone. Uh, nine, ten. 10 episode limited series on Netflix uh, produced possibly written by Amy Poehler. I don't know. I didn't come. I didn't come with facts. Okay. Uh, I don't want to give too much away, but the, the thing that hooked me into it is Natasha Leone just play playing Columbo. It's Natasha hmm. Leone being Columbo. And yeah, I, I have my Halloween costume for yeah. this year. 
I will be Natasha Leon's character. Amy Poehler was the creator. Um, creator. Credited Natasha for Leon, writing on eight episodes. Natasha Leon also wrote on eight episodes, also listed as a co-creator. It's wonderfully, wonderfully acted. It's very creative. I don't see it having another season. Natasha Leon is a treasure. I'm happy that uh, for, for all the problems that Orange and the New Black has, that it brought her back. Mm-hmm. Um, I, though I don't know that she ever went away. She almost went away permanently. I didn't know that. Did she? Did she? Is her character in uh, uh, Orange Is the New Black? Basically, autobiographical. Yeah, yeah. She she did a really good interview with Terry Gross on Fresh Air recently, where she talked about uh, as a consequence of her um, drug addiction or intravenous drug addiction, she actually had to have open heart surgery because uh, she huh. she contracted several infections. She she basically summed it up to I got the junkie diseases. You know, it's just like. Not the mm. big bad ones, but you know the ones that just kind of go around that nobody ever really talks about. And she talked about like, okay, I'm having open heart surgery and I can't take painkillers. Right. Yeah. And that's some hardcore twelve stepping. That's some hard hardcore no, no stinking thinking. Not yeah. even even am I'm in pain. Yeah. She she's better Peter Falk than Peter Falk was hmm. in my opinion. She sounds a lot like Peter Falk. It, it's I. I so watch it, watching this show, the series, her mannerisms, it, it at times I've not read anything about the show to see if like she was if she said in interviews, "Oh yeah, I was trying to channel Peter Falk and Columbo." But just her style, her mannerisms, very much there's some Peter Falk in there. And there needs to be some Peter Falk in everyone. Not John Wayne. Peter Falk. Not Gregory Peck. Peter Falk. If not Columbo, then Peter Falk from uh, uh, oh, Princess uh, Bride. Women Under that, the- Peter Falk from, um, oh man, what was it? What, what, what was it? L- Wings of Love? Uh, Wings of Desire? Oh, Wings of Desire. Oh, yeah. Oh God, he's so good in that. Um, Woman Under the Influence. Yeah. A- a- yeah, any any of the Cassavetes. Oh, so good. He's really good in. All right, man. All right. I think with that, this has been Mansplanation, a show with two friends. Thank you for listening. Thanks to Todd thanks. for joining me every Sunday. Thanks, Tim. I enjoy this. Thanks for trying to thanks for trying to hook up your audio. And we'll get there. Not being real good at it. <laughs> it's fine. That's not a requirement. Uh, we'll, we'll see what we can get sorted out. And I'll, ch- I'll teach you how to change your tire ne- next time you're in town. Good night, friend. Good night. Tell Becca I said hello. We'll do. Tell Jen I said hi. Todd says hi, Jen. Jen says hi, Todd. Uh, thank you to the artist Color for the use of our theme song, Free From Greed, off the album Trinity. You can find more of their music at Kala.com. Check the show notes for links to any references or recommendations we made, and also to Kala's website. Uh, thank you, good night, and as always, don't keep yourself in a box. Bye.